Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the wonderful world of wine, where every week Kim and I talk to you about all things wine that we find in the wine world. And how are you this week, Kim? I'm doing fine, Mark. Thank you very much. You know, school has started. The weather has gotten cooler. We're trying to get back to some semblance of a routine. And uh, of course, for me, that always involves uh, wine being paired with my dinners. So it's always fun to uh, go see what I have in the wine cellar, in the garage, and uh, see what I can match it with for dinner. So it's always an adventure. That's how we like to view our wine education, or at least how I do, is that it's it's a vacation in a bottle, I used to say to my friends. We're getting close to holiday season. So mm. people should be stocking up and thinking about wine and food pairings for the holidays. Yeah, we're already so, thinking uh, about, you know, gift giving and we might have smaller celebrations this year, but that doesn't mean that, you know, I'm sure most of us have something, something that we can celebrate and something that we can be thankful for. And uh, you we know, still need those, wine. We still need wine for those uh, wine. for those events. So let's talk, Kim. Our first article this week is from Wine Enthusiast Magazine, and it's talking about good, sweet red wines for beginners. And I think to start, we have to talk about residual sugar and tell our listeners about residual sugar, because that's, that's really what sweet wines are all about. So why right. don't you explain a little about this term, residual sugar. Right. So we talk about sugar or sweetness in wine often. And sometimes it's a positive. Sometimes you're looking for a little bit of this residual sugar in there. Like if you want a nice off dry Riesling to go with some spicy curry or some spicy Thai food, which I personally love a whole lot. Uh, but sometimes it comes up in a negative connotation. You know, there are some wine companies out there that are like, no sugar, we don't have any added sugar. So sugar, I think, is a little bit of a, a touchy subject when it comes to wine. But when we talk about residual sugar in wine. We don't mean that there is added cane sugar or corn syrup or anything like that added to the wine. What we are talking about is leftover fruit sugars from the grape juice that has not been fully fermented out of the product. And there are a number of different ways that winemakers can either halt the fermentation to keep a little bit of residual sugar in there or do another different type of process that at the end of the day leaves a little bit of sweetness in the wine. So there are a lot of wines out there from a number of different traditions all over the world that produce either slightly sweet or all the way up to very sweet wines, that only sweetness that's in there is natural grape sugars that come from the grape juice. So I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand, that when you're talking about a sweet wine, like often a lot of Moscatos have a lot of sweetness to them sometimes, or a port, or sometimes some Rieslings, like I mentioned before, there isn't added sugar to that wine. It is just the sugars that come from the grape itself. So it's fruit sugars. It's fructose mostly. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that makes sense to everyone because I think that's a little confusing to a 
lot of people. I hope it was a great explanation. It's a it's a really it's a complicated subject that you just really made simple, Kim. It's uh it's all about the the sweetness, what's left over in the wine. The grape has sugars, they ferment it, and that that sugar should ferment out, but there's always something left, and they call that residual sugar. And you'll see it abbreviated RS. So a lot of geeks will say, you know, what's the RS in this wine talking about sugar? And it's all about a perception of sweetness, which we all have a different threshold or, or a perception of sweetness. And I think that's one of the hardest things if someone comes to you and says, I think that wine is sweet. I, I, I'm looking for a sweet wine. You don't know what their threshold is to sweetness. So what you think is sweet, I might think is a dry wine, right? Uh, so let's talk about these, some of these numbers they give before we get into the what they said were the wines. They have a what's called a threshold level, Kim. And let's tell our listeners what that threshold means and, and what it is for a sugar measurement. Well, I'm so glad that you brought up this idea of people having different thresholds of being able to taste sweetness in wine because it's not a, a black and white issue. It's not that, oh, if, if there's this amount of sugar in the wine, everyone's going to think that it's sweet. And it's not just the sugar. It comes down to other things in that wine as well. So if you have all wines have some acidity to them and the acidity also impacts how you perceive that sugar. So a wine can have up to a few grams of sugar in it and you might not even notice that it has it in there. So like you said before, everyone has this different threshold and this different ability to taste whether something has more or less sugar in it. Do you have any idea of your own threshold when it comes to say percentage or grams of sugar? Because I know that a lot of wines are kind of really all over that map in in that area of barely perceptible sugar t- to not even being able to notice it. I think the more you taste, the more you're sensitive to things like residual sugar. And there was actually a geeky stat that says 0.4 grams per liter is the threshold that you should be able to detect sweetness in wine. So how do you relate that, Kim? It's it's 10 grams per liter of residual sugar or less should be what's considered a dry. And most mm-hmm. wines tend to be two to three grams per liter. Right. So not a lot. That's not a whole heck of a lot of sugar, especially no, when you're talking small. about something that's made from fruit. And that the only reason why it has alcohol is because those fruit sugars were fermented into alcohol. Um, I think that 0. 0.4 is actually quite aggressive. Like That yeah, seems I mean, to be a really low number to me. Right, right. Because we, I mean, we've kind of always learned that it's one gram is the, you know, what the human tongue can perceive as far as sweetness. And that is the threshold for a lot of champagnes. You know, if it's a dry champagne, you're kind of hovering right around that one gram. Uh, but that's interesting that 0.4. I don't I'm not sure that I would notice a 0.4. I'm also super duper sensitive to acidity. So if yeah. if there's a wine that has higher acid in it, I'm not noticing that sugar at all. I really don't pick it up. I'm much more sensitive to a higher alcohol level than I am to a higher sugar level. I'll perceive it as like a richness, but if you were to ask me, does this have residual sugar to it? Sometimes I tell that it does and, and other times I can't. So you think that it is um you know the more that you taste, the more that you can notice that. But you know, sometimes sometimes I'm fooled. And even I've been doing this for a long time. So yeah. you never you never really know. <laughs> it yeah. comes down to and, the individual wine. And a lot of times I'll taste something and I'll ask, what is the residual in this yeah. wine? Because I'm thinking to myself, this is really sweet to me. Mm-hmm. And I want them to tell me what range it's in. So I have kind of an idea if it's my palate or they're just doing something's weird with the with the wine, maybe you don't know. But yeah, like I was saying earlier, when someone says 
I'm looking for a sweet red or I'm looking for this. You don't know really where to go because right. some people will say, I, I want a rosé and they say, I, I, I like, uh, you know, sweet. I want white Zinfandel. You're like, whoa, yeah. So we're not talking traditional rosé here. We're talking a, you know, sweet blush wine. Uh, you can, you kind of get, have to have a guideline to know what they're drinking to point them in the right direction on a su- sweetness level. Right. And I think that that's and a really good the 10 point. Grams, it, it's tough. And, and I found myself just the other day, Kim, I had two sample bottles of wine and both of them, the same producer, one was a cab, one was a Pinot Noir. And both of them to me had so much residual sugar. It seems like that's what people, well, winemakers think people want now. Mm-hmm. They still have this sweet palate. So almost the apothic red blend type right. of thing. Yeah. The, and I put sales. that in my notes for that too. It's sometimes it is really helpful for us to be able to do that, that dual pronged approach where, you know, someone might describe a certain wine as sweet, but it helps for us to have an example. So if you say, oh, I like a sweet rosé and then you're like, okay, give me an example of what you like. And they mention White's Infidel, then you know that you're on the same page as that person. So now you're talking the same language, you know what they're looking for as a sweetness level. But sometimes for these fruity reds, it is a little bit harder because it doesn't often say anywhere on a label that there is a certain amount of residual sugar in the apothics, the jam jars, those red blends that are all described as fruity. But to us selling you the wine, those for us are sweet. So it's this very interesting, yeah, sort of direction that this red wine blend category has gone in. And it's, I think, very interesting that winemakers are also responding to what they see as public wants these styles of wine because those wine brands are selling like crazy. So then, of course, you would be seeing distributors showing you different wines from different grape varieties that are now starting to edge into that sweeter profile. Because, you know, if winemakers are seeing that that's what people are buying, then, you know, why why wouldn't you make more wines like that? That's what's selling. That's what's trending. So we talked about what residual sugar is in wine, what makes, what the levels are of the residual sugars. So Kim, next, I think we need to talk about how do these red wines end up with sweetness? And you touched a little bit on it, but there's really two main ways that they can end up being sweet. Right. It took me many years of taking wine classes and being in the wine industry to actually wrap my brain around how a sweet wine can stay that way without continuing to ferment inside the bottle. Like this this was a I remember even just I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago after I had already been, you know, doing wine for a while and I'm like, but why doesn't that Riesling continue to ferment? inside that bottle because it's got sugar and you figure it's got sugar. If there's even the teeniest, tiniest little bit of yeast in there, that yeast is going to want to gobble up that sugar and turn that into carbon dioxide and alcohol. And then you have exploding bottles. So there is a bit of technology that winemakers have realized, whether it was hundreds of years ago or whether it was just recently, in order to produce stable sweet wines. One of them is ways of preparing the grapes themselves. So you can dry the grapes, like kind of make them into 
of raisins and you concentrate the sugars and you concentrate the flavors and you concentrate all the other components in that grape. And then you have a more concentrated juice that they that then you can press and ferment into alcohol. And you can do that by freezing as well. So a lot of people are familiar with the style of wine called ice wine, that in Germany and Austria, the grapes are left on the vines out into December and January, and then they're they're picked cold. But you can also pick them and then freeze them and, and press them. So you know there are a number of different places all over the world that make ice wine. So you can do the drying thing or the freezing thing, but then you can also stop the fermentation with other spirits. So higher alcohol things like brandy. So this is how we get um, port and Madeira and some of those other really luxurious, sweet, somewhat higher alcohol kinds of wines. Yeah. And it's kind of confusing because typically low alcohol wines equals more sweetness, but in the case of the fortified wines, it's super high alcohol. Right. But since they've stopped the fermentation early, the sugar stayed and then they boost it up with the neutral spirit. So, right. so it's kind of both. Like if you see a wine label and you look at the alcohol percentage on that wine label, under 10 is generally going to be a little bit sweet and over 18 is also going to be a little bit sweet. So it's a little confusing right. for the consumer, but you end up with sweeter wines on, on both ends of the spectrum, one that's a little lighter, and then the other one that is heavier and boozier and that you only want to drink small quantities of. It was cheese. interesting because that I was telling you the other day, I had the Cab and the Pinot and I thought they were mm -hmm. sweet. And then I looked at the percentage of alcohol on the Cabernet and it was 12%. So right away I said, oh yeah, well, this makes sense now. It's it's not fermented to like 13, 13 and a half or 14 where typically a Cab would be. It was lower. So there, right. there was more sweetness to the wine. Right. So that's, that's totally true when it comes to red wine, right? Because you're used to seeing 13, 14, 15% on these big jammy reds. And if you see something as low as 12, like we don't look at a Riesling and say, oh, 12%, that's, you know, that's kind of low. But you look at it for a Cabernet and you're like, wow, 12. Okay, that's on the lower end of the spectrum. So yeah, just that, you know, half a percent or full percent of sugar in there. That's, you know, that's, that's noticeable. A, that's a good buying tip. I always feel, Kim, for our mm -hmm. listeners, when you're comparing two wines, be it two Rieslings or two Cabernets, and their alcohol is so different, then you can almost think that the higher one is going to be drier than that lower one because there's less sugar in it technically. Right. So it's a good guide if you're in the mood, especially with, with Riesling. I mean, we're talking red here, but with the Riesling, typically the low ones are going to be the sweeter ones. So Right. That's the advice that I usually give people that if you are looking at a bottle of Riesling or a bottle of white wine in general, and you have no idea what the style is. And either you're looking, looking for something sweet or you want to completely avoid anything with extra residual sugar that you can taste in it. It really does make sense to look at the alcohol. And I tend to find that like 11% is usually like 10 and 11% is the threshold. So if it's 10 or lower, that there's going to be some sweetness there. 11, you know, sometimes it's kind of hit or miss, but 12, usually with 12 and up, you're, you're safe when it comes to whites. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone. And you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. For more information about Mark, you can go to his website, franklinliquors.com. And for more information about myself, you can find me at vinitaswineworks.com. And we are continuing the conversation about sweet wines, but specifically sweet red wines. 
Uh, and we talked a little bit about how those wines might be made sweet and some hints that you can get on the label, especially when it comes to the alcohol level. Um, and I wanted to bring the conversation back a little bit to my comment before about not necessarily understanding how when I was just starting out in the wine world, how a wine could still have sweetness in it, still have sugar in that wine, and yet it wouldn't continue fermenting in the bottle. This was something that always really confused me because I, like a lot of people, tend to think of wine as, you know, this natural product where it's grape juice, it gets pressed Sometimes you add yeast, sometimes you just let Mother Nature do its work and the fermentation happens and then you bottle it. But that's not really <laughs> the way that a lot of modern wine is made. So often when we have these wines that are light in alcohol, but still have some nice fruity sweetness to them, what happens is that that wine has to undergo a little bit of human intervention in order to remove the yeasts from that wine. So usually it's uh, chilled down and to the point that the yeast can't survive anymore. Uh, and it's fined and it's filtered through some machinery. And so it's a very, very clean wine. There's no bacteria in there. There's no yeast left in there. And then it is bottled and you don't have to worry about any more fermentation taking place inside that bottle because there's no more yeast there. So that was, for me, always something that was a little confusing. Yeah, but that's that a good is point. A very, though, yeah. very common way of making uh, lightly sweet wines these days. Because I think when we, maybe I'm wrong, Kim, but I understand what you're saying because I think when we first learn about wine, you don't necessarily pay attention to the behind the scenes things that are going on, right? I honestly don't think I was ever really taught that. Yeah, it was just like, yeah. this is your cabinet re level Riesling and your Spätlese level Riesling. I'm like, well, and they've got 10%, but I'm not told how it gets from point A to point C and doesn't continue fermenting in the bottle. So that was always just like a big question mark over my head. So but I'm glad that difference. after, I don't know how many years I finally got to the bottom of it. The big difference, though, is is technology. I mean, years oh, yeah. ago, like you were saying, years ago, they would put these things, they cork them, and then they'd blow up because they'd re-ferment. They never took care of the yeast, or they never took care of the temperature to kill off the yeast, so it was still active. Right. And then months later, it was on store shelves, and all the bottles were exploding, right? Because it was well, like I was wondering, like, like in, in 1850, when they made a bottle of, you know, cabinet-level Riesling in Germany, and they left some sweetness in there, how in the world, with the technology of 200 years, years ago, were they able to eliminate all of the yeast from the bottle and keep it from fermenting? So yeah. I don't know, maybe that's just, you the know, the, the wine historian yeah. in there is always questioning yeah. these sorts of things. But I was always yeah. very curious no. about that. Yeah, it's it, there's, it's just so interesting. There's always something that draws our interest or there's always something in the wine world that we're thinking, mm -hmm. geez, we have to learn more about why is that happening? So let's get back in with, they mentioned, this article was about sweet reds and they mentioned a few. And I had a couple of questions on really one of them, but wh why don't we start out with the first one they mentioned from Piemonte. So this is, um, they're talking about Brachetto, which I like to describe to people as sort of the red sister of Moscato d'Asti. So if you, most people have had, had Moscato and if you uh, can conjure up the flavor of Moscato in your mind, it's, you know, lightly fizzy and a little bit sweet and light and, you know, peaches and apricots and flowers and all sorts of wonderful, wonderful flavors. Now think of that as a red wine and it is strawberry and raspberry flavors, but still lightly frothy, sweet 
really delicious stuff. I really feel like the two of those kind of go hand in hand. They're from the same general region in the north of Italy, in Piemonte, like you said, Mark, and uh, just lovely, lovely wines. They call this wine, Kim, the the wine of lovers. You talk about history. It has such a history where they're saying Cleopatra was seduced with this wine. You can find it on shelves either fully spumante, fully sparkling or frizzante. And like you said, I, it's just a beautiful wine. It's it's one of the classic wines to pair with chocolate. Mm-hmm. It's one of the classic Valentine's Day wines. It's actually one of the few history. wines that I actually like with chocolate because I don't do a lot of wine with chocolate, but this is one of the wines that I actually really, really think is lovely with chocolate. Now, do you like the fully carbonated version or just the fizzy version? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no, I, I like them both. The bub- honestly, the honestly, I like I like them both. Sometimes I like just that lightly fizzy one. is very pleasant, especially when drinking it kind of on its own. But I, I do like the f- the more sparkling one with food, and um, I think this is a good tie-in with the the second wine, which is Lambrusco, which is also from Italy, a little bit farther south. But both of these wines being red and some Lambrusco can be sweet or it can be dry. But any of these wines make an exceptional accompaniment to charcuterie. So think pepperoni, think salami. It's kind of a little bit of a highbrow pairing with pepperoni pizza, but it's excellent. And there's something about the spiciness of the pepperoni and the fattiness. And you put it with a red wine that can cut through all that fat with a little bit of bubble and a little bit of sweetness. And it's just a really, really wonderful combination. So kind of one of these, what grows together, goes together. Any, you know, Italian meats like that and and either of these sparkling, slightly sweet red wines are are really, really wonderful. Yeah. For our listeners, get Get the Rianiti Lambrusco visual out of your head because (laughs) Lambrusco today has gone so many different directions. Like Kim was saying, it's not all super, super sweet. There's so many different styles because there's so many different variations of the Lambrusco grape. And I'm telling you this, like Kim was saying, this is a fantastic food wine. If you've not had Lambrusco in a while, search one out. It it will surprise you, especially if you grew up like me in the, in the Rianiti days, Kim, Mm -hmm. you probably didn't Mm -hmm. even expect. Experience no, I remember. Thing. You're so young, I remember Rianiti on ice. I remember that. Yeah, it's so much advanced now. So definitely seek it out. Uh, the next one came on the sweet reds was a sparkling Shiraz from Australia. And this one I had the question for you, honey, because I've always had sparkling Shiraz, but I've never looked at the alcohol content. Are they all low and sweet? No. In fact, I don't think I've ever had a sweet one. Yeah. This was a little confusing to me too, because I've only ever had dry sparkling Shiraz from Australia. I have never run into a sweet one. Yeah. So maybe there are sweet ones out there and we just haven't been exposed to them, but I have never, ever seen one. So I thought this was kind of out of place on this list because I'm like, no, no, no. (laughs) The only sparkling Shirazes I've had have been dry. That's what I was thinking to myself. Usually this has been a dry wine. So now we'll have to seek out and maybe our listeners have had it and could tell us what they think, but I've never seen one. Oh, it's been a long time since I've had one. So it's possible that there are some sweet ones on the market now that I just don't know about. So that would be cool. I I think it's one of those wines too that at one time, it had was trending and Mm -hmm. I can't tell you the last time anyone's even asked me for it or if even thought about it. So until this article, so it was an interesting one on the list and I'm glad we 
we had the same point of view on it. <laughs> it happens more often than you think. You can tell what's happening with the show now. We're kind of on the same page a little <laughs> bit. So it's working out. Okay, next, Kim, they talked about port from Portugal. And you yeah. mentioned earlier about fortified wines. And So totally the classic here. And we could do an entire show just on port because there are so many different styles and so many different things that you can say about it as far as flavor profiles go. Some are fruity, some are more caramelly and spicy. But just, I think, for people to understand that port is always going to be sweet. So whenever you pick up a bottle of port, the flavors might be a little bit different, but they're all going to be between like 19 and 22% alcohol. And they're all going to be sweet and like a rich syrupy kind of a a feel uh, in your mouth. So don't go looking for port thinking that it's going to be dry. There are uh, Portuguese red wines that are made from the same exact grape varieties that are dry, but they will never be called port. So port will always be sweet. Yeah, I'm a huge port fan. And I'm Mm, always shocked when people experience it for the first time, they start really drinking it and they're blown away by the alcohol content and and to have that sweetness with that high alcohol. So uh, it's that time of year when port starts kicking in again when the cooler weather. So yeah. I'm glad it was on the list. Me too. And, and last, Kim, they we're going to go to France, your, one of your favorite locations Finally. in the world, <laughs> for a vin du naturel wine. So you want to explain, Kim, or give some examples of this style of French wine? Yeah. So we often find these from the southern part of the country. So we see a lot of them in Roussillon. We see some from the Languedoc region. So that Mediterranean coastal region as you're going from Italy over to Spain, because these particular styles of red grapes need to be fully, fully ripened. And that's where they get that really wonderful Mediterranean sunshine. So these are grapes that are, like I said, fully ripe and they have a little bit of additional alcohol added to them uh, like port, but they are not quite as heavy or quite as boozy as port. So I feel like you get a little bit more of uh, the character of those uh, rich red grapes that they're made out of. Banyul is probably the most famous one, but there are a number of other ones uh, out there there as well. So they're a little bit harder to find, certainly harder to find than port, but another, uh, if you like these heavier wines, if you like sweeter sweeter reds, something to go and search for, especially if you're looking for something that's a little bit different or maybe to pair with, you know, some nice nice rich cheeses as the weather gets colder. Banyols is my, my favorite yeah. fortified French wine by far. So let me ask you now, Kim, we went through the, the list, the styles, all about residual sugars. Would you say that sweet red wines are a seasonal wine? No, I don't think so. I guess there are so many varied styles. Like I think that a brachetto that's slightly chilled in the summertime is gorgeous, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's the most appropriate thing for the middle of winter and then vice versa for port. Like, I don't know that I want a a little glass of port in the middle of July, but it's wonderful in January. So I think like so many other wines, you know, it's hard to say, oh, this entire category belongs in this little niche. There are so many different flavors and so many different weights to these wines that there's, I think, one for or multiple for every season for, for different situations. Yeah. And that's, I'm happy to hear you say that because there's so many times where you talk, you mentioned port and you don't want to port in July, but there's also white port, which makes mm. great spritzers in, in warmer weather. Absolutely. And like you said, bruschetto in the summertime, chilled, 
beautiful wine. So these sweet reds can be year-round wines. And do you think, Kim, that they're still trending? Sweet red blends, for for instance, are still trending in the wine Yeah, world? and that's we kind of didn't really talk about that, although that's the style of red wines that do have some sweetness to them that I feel like people are buying and are gravitating towards. So, I mean, we mentioned Apothic. There's a brand called Jam Jar out there that is very similar. There are some other things that are on the market, but it is harder to tell just by looking at the label how sweet that red wine is going to be. So recently, I'd say over the last you know five or 10 years, we've seen these blends from California that the word blend on there is kind of the silent way of them telling us that it has a little bit of this you know, residual sweetness or residual sugar in there. But I do still think it's very popular. And I think that there's a little bit of a hurdle for people to get over to admit that they like sweet wines, even though they do. So I think the fact that a lot of these brands don't put sweet red on their label um, is benefiting them because people are like, oh, no, 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 I'm, I don't like sweet, sweet wine. Well, you do, but maybe you're embarrassed to, to admit that you do. Um, and I don't think that that's a bad thing. I just, I think that it's something that, that people honestly should embrace. If that's the style that they like, embrace it because there's a, a lot of good stuff out there and it'll help those of us that are trying to help you find your next favorite bottle, find something that you're going to like. So if you do like that, you know, slightly sweeter style of red wine, it benefits, I think, everyone if we know it and then we can find you something else that you're going to like. Yeah. There's a lot out there we can make recommendations for. And I like that when someone mentions they like sweet reds, you, you definitely have to find out what range they're in. Yeah. You got to ask some questions. <laughs> ask you some know? leading questions. Yeah. And a lot of times really like. people to me think sweet meaning fruity too. Like a lot uh -huh. of people think sangria is their sweet red wine, you know? Well, so that's, that's both sugary and fruity. So. Right. Right. So <laughs> do you like that more fruit or do you like the more, you know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, yeah. Sometimes it's, it's hard to tell, but it's, that's why it, we ask the questions. Yeah. And it's frustrating at times, to, but it's a good learning experience for me to, to, recommend things based on people's perception of that sweetness. So we'll keep trying. Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We have been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone. You can find us here on Franklin Public Radio every week. And you can find our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. And we always welcome your questions and comments on our Facebook page at The Wonderful World of Wine. Cheers. Why, why, why?